All right. Good morning. My name is Dwayne Spearman, and welcome to Directional Bible Studies. Uh, this is a teaching ministry uh, that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is November the 15th, and uh, we find ourselves today in our final study session number 40, and we're going to cover Acts chapter number 28, verses 1 through 31 in our study today. And uh, that'll wrap up our study in the book of Acts. I hope that you guys have enjoyed uh, this journey with me. Um, It's been a unique journey for me, and I have to confess to you that um, I don't don't have my mind completely wrapped around it all. Um, I have a, uh, interestingly, I have on my uh, on my website, right here under my faith, um, this is what I wrote when I put this up years ago. No one has all of the answers. And if we are all honest with each other, we would have to admit that sometimes we all waffle a bit on where we stand on some issues from time to time. What seemed like black and white then may be shades of gray now or vice versa. We all grow from grace to grace. Paul wrote to the Ephesians that one day we will all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to the perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until that time comes, we press into his word and allow it to conform us to his image day by day. I really do believe that. And then I divide up what I consider to be essentials. Um you know, which I believe to be the five fundamentals of the faith. Um, You know, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, uh, the return of Christ, the inerrancy of Scripture, um, uh, let's see, the eternal security, or what some would call the atonement, uh, which, you know, I believe in eternal security. Uh, The issue of atonement is definitely an Old Testament Israel thing that, you know, I guess... uh, I don't want to use that word. I'd rather use the word eternal security. And then I have what I call non-essentials. These are things that aren't worth fighting over. I mean, they're worth discussing. They're worth looking into as good students of the Scripture, but they're certainly not worth fighting over. Uh, I'm dispensational. You know, I maintain a consistently um, literal interpretation of Scripture and make a distinction between Israel and the church. Furthermore, I maintain a mid-Acts view in regard to the birth of the body of Christ. And uh, I am still honing in on that to learn what exactly that means. I'm pre-tribulational. I believe the church will be raptured out before the tribulation. Uh, I am premillennial in that I believe that there will be a seven-year tribulation period uh, before the Lord returns and sets up His literal millennial reign on earth, and I believe in biblical separation. I believe Christians should look and act like such and only yoke themselves with those who do the same. So those are just, uh, you know, where I'm coming from, you know, and we're all growing and we're all learning and none of us have all the answers yet. Lord knows I wish I did, but I do not. So uh, that's kind of where I stand. Um, Let me see here. It looks like I've lost my camera. Let me see if I can, uh, nope, I didn't lose it. I'm good. It's just on that one screen. So, all right, then let's go back here and we're going to start our study today in, uh, Acts chapter number 28 and, uh, verse number one, 
And when they were captured, then they knew that the island was called Melita. Now, today, like I said earlier, this island is called Malta. It was inhabited by the Phoenicians. Interestingly, the name Phoenician means refuge, and it was certainly a refuge for Paul and his companions after being at sea all that time, caught up in that typhoon, that northeaster that we talked about. And the barbarous uh, people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. The word barbarous was a word that was used by the Greeks of anyone who did not speak their language. So it didn't mean what it means today when we refer to people as barbarians. You know, we're calling them savage, uncultivated, cruel uh, types. Uh, that's not what it means at all. Um, <clears throat> it just spoke. They it just means that they spoke an unintelligible language. Um, and I notice in verse number three. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened onto his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he had escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. So you can only imagine that these, these people on the island knew after a very brief moment of time that there were definitely prisoners on this ship and there were guards on this ship. Now, I doubt they were wearing orange jumpsuits like we think of today. I was driving through Ohio yesterday, or West Virginia, I think it was, and the prisoners were back in a long time ago. They, you know, a lot of states had what was called chain gangs. Um, I, I, and now I guess they have road crews that, which basically perform the same function. I think, um, you know, they're out cleaning the streets, and they all had on these black and white striped pants with orange tops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they definitely stood out, and you could tell who the guards were. Uh, they were the ones back to the side, heavily, ar- heavily armed with shotguns. Um, so there's no doubt that uh, they knew that this was definitely a ship that was containing prisoners, and they basically believed that Paul had it coming for whatever he had, to, he had done to become a prisoner, and they assumed that it was murder. Uh, it was basically the belief, you know, their belief, uh, uh, and I guess what we would call today karma, which is from Hinduism, that teaches basically that what goes around comes around. Um, if you don't get it then, you're going to get it then later. But either way, you deserved it because you've done something in the past. So they thought for sure Paul was a murderer. And look at there, he got saved from the sea. And now he's going to die because of a snake. And then in verse number five, how be it they, let's see, and, and he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen and fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was God. So here they are, they're sitting back, they're waiting, they're watching for Paul to fall over dead. Didn't happen, so fickle man, he is now a God. Reminds me of when he and Barnabas were in Iconium in chapter number 14, and they went they went from trying to stone him to thinking that Barnabas was Jupiter and Paul was Mercurius in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 15. It just shows how, how men can change their mind uh, so quickly on a dime. Um, and it's because they have no anchor. Uh, you know, um, you know I, I've learned in my Christian walk that when something challenges my faith, I don't freak out over it. 
you know, years before when something would come along that contradicted my current worldview, I would immediately panic. Why? Because I didn't have total faith in that worldview. But now the older I get, the more mature I get, my worldview is pretty firm. So if I see something that contradicts that worldview or seemingly contradicts that worldview, I just have to assume that I'm looking at it the wrong way. Um, and that's really, you know, like I was sharing with you guys the other day, how I've kind of come around to uh, my view of the mid-acts position. Um, I've studied it now for, you know, a year and a half or so. And now I'm just so firmly convinced that when I read something that looks like it might not fall into place, I, I just have to back up a little bit and see what my perspective is. Because bear in mind, we're all looking at the Bible through a filter that was given to us. Uh, your prob- my first filter uh, was a flannel graph in Sunday school. You know, that filter was given to me. <laughs> and uh, we all have a filter through which we see life. Uh, but my filter is uh, slowly uh, being removed in regards to um, what you would call modern uh, dispensationalism that the church was born in Acts chapter number two. Now, filling in those blanks, I'm still working on that. Um, that's still a project uh, for me. Um, I still haven't filled in all of those blanks, and I am subject to correction. I am subject to learning new things, but I am, I am overwhelmingly convinced that the mid-axe position is the correct one. So notice in verse number seven, and in the same quarters were possessions of chief men of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux. Interesting, that word bloody flux there in verse number number eight. Uh, let's see, uh, verse number eight. Uh, yeah, the New American Standard says that he had been afflicted with a recurrent fever and dysentery. Um, and I guess seemingly bloody flux, I would assume there would have been blood in his stool. Um, but uh, that's probably... Uh, what that was when it talks about the bloody flux. Um, yeah, the Greek is just dysentery, um, meaning a compound, meaning a bowel, dysentery. Uh, so either way, Publius's dad was pretty sick, uh, and it probably didn't look too good for him. Um, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had disease in the island, came and were healed. So no doubt, uh, you know, this is the head honcho. This is Publius. Uh, He's the one that, when it says here, were possessions of the chief men of the island. Um, In verse number number seven, um, you know, it speaks of land. He had an estate nearby that belonged uh, to Publius. Um, let's see, the, in the neighborhood of the place where lands belonging to the leading man of the island, Publius. So obviously he was a wealthy man. 
Um, and of course, he offered them them lodging. Of course, now that he figures he's entertaining a deity, <laughs> uh, they no longer see Paul as a uh, as a as a uh, a guilty murderer that deserves to die. So now they're entertaining them. They're offering them lodging. And again, we see Paul healing, um, which I believe is part of the kingdom ministry. Um, that, and I also believe that kingdom ministry ceased uh, once the offer of the kingdom was taken off the table. Uh, and of course, that's, that's controversial today, especially when there's so many in the church, the body of Christ, that still have this kingdom theology that... Um, you know, uh, works its way through everything, through their worldview and their uh, the way they interpret the Bible. Uh, I don't believe we're in the kingdom. We're not in the spiritual kingdom. We're certainly not in the physical kingdom, because uh, if we are, uh, Satan is at the end of a chain in the pit, and I can promise you that's not where he is. If he is, uh, he's, he must have somebody working remotely. Uh, I, I just I just don't buy that. I believe that once the kingdom was off the table, all the signs, the wonders, the miracles, everything that accompanied the kingdom, according to Joel 2.28, uh, left with it. Uh, because we're going to find out later, Paul couldn't heal. He left Trophimus. You remember Trophimus, Trophimus the Asian that he met in Ephesus, uh, the one that uh, they accused him of going into the temple with? Um, you know, he had to leave him in Millentium sick. And I find that interesting because here he is in Melita and he can heal. And then later <clears throat> he's back in Melita and he can't heal. Um, I just, uh, you know, this was obviously a part of the kingdom ministry that was still on, excuse me, on the table. Verse number 10, who also honored us with his many honors. And when we departed, he laded us with such things as were necessary. Obviously, Publius was very grateful. And he showed it. Not only did he was he grateful that he healed his dad, but he was grateful that he healed so many others on the island that were sick. But also, he I don't know if he was over it by this point, but he thought he was God initially. I don't know if that, I assume that wore off after a while, but still, I mean, Paul certainly probably still glowed in the dark to them just a little bit. <laughs> And then notice verse number 11, And after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria and were wintered in the isle, whose name is Castor and Pollux. This verse makes it obvious that they stayed there for three months. So they were on Militium or Malta for three months, which means we know from previous verses when they were going through the Euroclidon or the northeaster, the easterly winds, uh, that this typhoon that they were going into was the end of September, beginning of October. So if this is three months later, <clears throat> they're around January, February when they departed. And then it's interesting here that this ship, and this ship had been there. It had also wintered on the Isle, so it was it was already there. Um, they were all trying to escape that typhoon three months earlier. Uh, and it says, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. I looked that up. They were considered to be Zeus's sons. Uh, in Greek mythology, they were known as the twin half-brothers or the Gemini twins. And interestingly, they were regarded as the patrons of sailors, uh, to whom they appeared as St. Elmo's fire. 
um, which then I had to look that up. St. Elmo's fire is a weather phenomenon in which luminous plasma is created by a corona discharge from a sharp or pointed object in a strong electric field in the atmosphere. And this usually happened at the top, the mask, uh, the mast of a ship uh, during a thunderstorm. And when the sailors saw it, uh, they felt that it was a good omen that they were under the protection of the Gemini twins. Some other Greek mythology relates them to horsemanship. I didn't follow that through uh, very deeply, but some relate them to horsemanship. But uh, um, for the point, I, I'm sure these guys have these things on their ship, not because they're good horsemen, but because they were the patron saints of, uh, or the patrons of, uh, of sailors. Now, notice verse number 12. In landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. Now, when it speaks of Syracuse, we think of New York. I think of Liberty winning a football game. I'm wearing my Liberty hat today uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, Liberty's 8-0. They walked all over Western Carolina yesterday. <laughs> and uh, last week they beat Virginia Tech. So I think they're ranked 17. No, I think they're ranked 21st right now. So their first top 25 ranking. Uh, so psh, they're doing very good. Uh, I think they play North Carolina State next. So uh, I'm wearing my... Liberty hat today. Um, then notice in verse number 13, and then, then from thence we fetched a compass. Now, when it talks about fetching a compass, you and I raised in the South, my great-grandmother would tell me to fetch, fetch that, fetch that, go fetch the paper, go fetch this. It means to go get. Uh, but here it says they fetched a compass. In other words, they took a compass. They they got a compass, and that just means they went in a circular direction. It means that they went around. And from thence, uh, we went around and came to Rigium. Um, and after one day, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Putioli. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It sounds Italian to me, at least. Um, Rigium is Reggion, Italy, which is down at the bottom of the country, where we call the toe. Is, uh, Italy is shaped like a boot. And all the way down in the bottom is uh, Rigium, which is in the toe. And where we found brethren, and we desired to tarry with them seven days, and we went toward Rome. And again, pretty apparent that Paul's arrest was pretty relaxed. Uh, Randy White makes a point of mentioning that we do not know who these brethren were. Um, we, and we found brethren. Um, it, we don't know if they're believers. We don't know if they're kingdom believers. We don't know if they're grace believers, or they're just other Jewish brethren. Um, again, when we see that word, we just can't assume that it's talking about um, believers. Um, so we found brethren and and were desired to tarry with them seven days. So that makes me believe maybe they are possibly kingdom believers, uh, Jewish, um, you know, but then, you know, Randy points out that they may be grace considering their location in Italy, but we don't know for sure. The text just doesn't say. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appy Forum and the three taverns whom Paul saw, and he thanked God and took courage. So the Appy Forum, according to Barnes, was a city about 56 miles outside of Rome. So what we're seeing here is Dr. Luke is showing us how they are making their way into Rome. 
They're 56 miles outside of Rome, and then they come to the Three Taverns, which is located 8 to 10 miles outside of Rome. And then notice he thanked God and he took courage. I mean, he had been waiting for this for a very long time. I mean, practically, what, how far back in the book of Acts is he talking about? Well, I guess once he appealed to Caesar, um, he knew he was going to Rome, but he was going there anyway. So uh, the he just got a free trip. <laughs> you know, the Romans took him uh, in the Uber of the day, the ships. Uh, so he'd been waiting a long time to get to Rome. So he thanked God and he took courage. Um, and when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners. This was the same centurion that was on the ship with them that, uh, um, you know, told him don't kill the prisoners. He's the one that obviously listened to Paul when he said take and eat and um, don't don't let them escape. We'll all die unless we all hit the island together. So this centurion obviously respected Paul. Paul certainly had favor. Reminds me of Lysias, uh, who rescued him from the Jews and then again took him before the council and then to Festus, uh, Felix, and then before Festus and Agrippa. So, um, so here we basically have a transfer of custody. Uh, we were told previously there was 276 of them. Uh, so all of them were transferred into the custody of uh, this other soldier, except for Paul, who was allowed to stay by himself, but he still had a guard. There was one soldier to keep watch over him. So obviously Paul wasn't much of a flight risk, <laughs> or there would have been a lot more. Uh, and it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said in the men and brethren, though I've committed nothing against the people or the customs or the fathers, yet I was delivered a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So the chief of the Jews here would be the leader of the local synagogue. Um, and now Paul is just bringing them up to date as to why he was there, and he denies the accusations that uh, the Jews were making against him. Of course, obviously, he's talking to a Jewish audience, so he wants to make them aware that he had he was innocent of all all charges against him in regards to the law of Moses and circumcision and the customs, um, and that was their initial allegation that they laid against him when they they found him and supposedly the Gentile Trophimus in the temple, and Lysias had to step in. Um, of course, uh, Paul had taught the opposite. To the Gentiles with the grace gospel, but never uh, to the Jews. Um, I believe that Paul continued to preach two gospels, and the way that I have went through uh, the book of Acts this time is under that assumption that he was continuing to preach two gospels. For me, that is one of the best ways to study the Bible, is to grab an hypothesis or an assumption and run with that assumption until something blows that assumption apart. I haven't seen anything blow that assumption apart uh, yet. That don't mean it won't. It may blow it apart when I get over into um, Paul's epistles. Uh, but right now, that assumption on my part hasn't been uh, dismantled. I believe Paul is preaching two Gospels. Um, so we have to assume here uh, that 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 was the case, or Paul was lying. I mean, Paul says, I was not preaching against the law of Moses, circumcision and the customs to the Jews. I did not teach against those things to the Jews. 
And in just my feeble little mind, if he was preaching the grace gospel to the Jews, he would have been preaching against those things. Uh, because the grace gospel doesn't require circumcision. The grace gospel doesn't require um, keeping the law of Moses or walking in the customs. So, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm still firm on that. Um, so, you know, uh, teachers must come to the conclusion that Paul had not received the mystery yet or that he was indeed preaching two gospels by this time. And there are those, even in the mid-Acts, um, Camp, uh, Bullinger for one, uh, that doesn't believe Paul received the mystery in the book of Acts, uh, that he continued to to teach the kingdom gospel all the way through the book of Acts. Uh, and they wrap it up with that final verse in chapter 28 where he says he continued to preach the word of the kingdom of God and the things pertaining to Jesus Christ. And they think that, you know, Acts is entirely a kingdom proposition that Paul had not received, or at least he had not started preaching the grace gospel. But my assumption going through this, and from what I can gain from the text, is that Paul was preaching to. Um, who, when they were, had examined me, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. So now he's saying that once the Romans examined him, they couldn't find anything wrong with this guy. You remember Agrippa said this man could have been set free had he had not appealed to Caesar. But when the Jews spoke against it, now remember the political situation that was going on, the war of the Jews was coming up, uh, the Jews were rebelling against the Romans, and you know Felix and Festus and Agrippa, and there was two more governors of Judea after them, uh, after Felix and Festus, there was two more governors before the war of the Jews would break out, according to Josephus. So they were sitting on a, on a time bomb, and they wanted to appease the Jews, uh, kind of, they wanted to appease the Jews. Um, and because of that, Paul said, I was constrained to appeal to Caesar, not that I ought uh, to accuse my nation of. Of course, the Jews did not accept Paul's innocence on either count, Jew or Roman account. Uh, he was left with little option but to appeal his case to Caesar, because you remember Agrippa said, why don't we go back to Jerusalem and just, just set this out? And Paul's like, I'm not going back to Jerusalem um, I'm appealing to Caesar. Um, the latter part of this verse is a little conflicting to me in that Paul had plenty to accuse his nation of by this point. Notice he says, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. Are you serious? <laughs> I mean, they were trying to kill him. Um, the only way I can explain it is that Paul, in a spirit of forgiveness, even though wrongfully accused, wished no ill will upon his people, the nation of Israel. Uh, remember, he said he would be accursed for them. Uh, so he obviously loved them in spite of the way that they had spitefully and ill-treated him. And he says in verse 20, And for this cause, therefore, I've called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that the hope for the hope of Israel I'm bound with this chain. So notice Paul says, that's why I wanted to speak to you guys. I wanted to make my case before you. And that the only thing that I'm guilty of is preaching the hope of Israel. Um, and again, what is the hope of Israel? Their Messiah. That's what all the Old Testament prophecies and prophets look toward was the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. You know, and we've looked at we've looked at all these graphs here. <laughs> uh, 
talking about the everything in the Old Testament look forward to the Messiah. All the prophecies look forward to the coming of the Messiah and uh, you know the restoration of the nation. But again, they didn't see that crucifixion, which had to have happened. And Paul's just saying, that's what I'm preaching. That's what I'm preaching. That's what that's why I'm 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 here. That's why I'm being held under arrest because of the hope of Israel. Simeon referred to it as the consolation. You remember in Luke two twenty five, um, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and uh, he was there when uh, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in, and he held him, and he said. Uh, the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. So they were waiting for the consolation. And what is the, the consolation? It was the restoration. It was the res- restoration of the kingdom, which would come as a result of their of their Messiah. And, of course, unfortunately, um, this word, uh, not unfortunately, unfortunately it was rejected, but ultimately this is connected to the kingdom. So when he talks about the consolation, he's referring to the kingdom. Neither shall men tear themselves from their mourning and comfort them for their dead. Neither shall men give up the cup of consolation. Neither shall men give them the cup of consolation to drink for their father or for their mother. In other words, they won't need to be consoled anymore because the kingdom will be there. There won't be any more tears or crying or, you know, because Christ will be in charge. Paul referred to this in um, Acts 23, 6, when he said, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead am I called into question. So Paul's saying the only reason I'm standing here is because I preach the hope of Israel. Uh, so he says, that's, that's, that's why I'm here. Now, many today will read this passage and say that Paul was under arrest for preaching the gospel. Uh, again, I mean, yeah, he preached the gospel. And whether he preached the kingdom gospel or the grace gospel, both of them required the resurrection. Uh, so he was there because he was preaching the hope of Israel, which was the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And they said in him, We neither received letters of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spoke any harm of thee. So the word brethren here in this case, again, it doesn't necessarily mean believers. Um, Instead, it's speaking of other Jews. In other words, the context here is that other Jews came, and we haven't heard anything about what happened to you in Jerusalem. We don't know why you're here. Um, This is the first time we've heard this, you know, and, and, you know, all of this is good in that they made a very unbiased uh, jury and that they had not formed an opinion one way or the other. You know, it's just like today when you sit on jury duty, which I've done a few times, um, it's very tough to get a jury for a, a very popular or, or uh, advertised or, you know, case where that people have obviously seen the news, they've seen the slant, and they've already probably formed an opinion before the facts even come out. And so you, a lawyer, uh, when they're questioning, sitting, putting in the jury, they ask questions to determine if this person has already formed an opinion. And if he has, he's out. 
Now, of course, the prosecution, he wants them to form an opinion that he's guilty. And, you know, the defense wants them to form an opinion that he's not guilty. So it's a back and forth, a tit for tat between the lawyers to place an unbiased jury. So Paul definitely had an unbiased jury here because they didn't know anything about it. And he says, but we desire to hear thee. Now they're speaking back to Paul. But we desire to hear thee what thou thinkest as concerning the sect. We know that everywhere it is spoken against. So I find it interesting that Paul here, in verse number 21, um, or verse number uh, 20, he says, uh, For this cause, therefore, I've called you to see you, to speak with you, because I preach the hope of Israel. Obviously, and they knew when he said that, he was talking about this sect. He was talking about this Jesus. He was talking about these Christians. Uh, and remember, I, I talked to you before, that word Christian used three times, two times in the act, in the book of Acts and one time in First Peter, doesn't necessarily refer to the body of Christ. It's just talking about Jews that were following this Christ little Christians or Christ followers. So as soon as he starts talking about the hope of Israel, their mind went to this sect. And remember that word sect is translated heresy. And again, the word heresy by definition means any belief or theory that is strongly at variance with an established belief or beliefs or customs. It, it's not necessarily a bad word. It just means these strange teachings that's coming from this sect in regards to the resurrection of this man, Jesus. Randy White points out something interesting when he says, even by this late date, 63 AD, there had not been a removal from the Jews uh, by, the member, by the members of the way, though the sect was spoken against by the Jews. In other words, the way, the Christians, the ones that were following this Jesus, believing that he was the hope of Israel, there was not a separation they were still going to the synagogues. They were still going to the temple. They had not started the First Baptist Church in Jerusalem. There was not a separation. They were viewed as part of Judaism. Matter of fact, they viewed themselves as the fulfillment of Judaism. They viewed themselves as, you know, this is just what Moses said would happen. This is exactly what the prophets said would happen. Um, so they had not separated themselves. They were mixed in among them, but there was a sect, uh, a few of them, that believed something strange about this man, Jesus. Uh, Randy goes on to say, if this is true, there is the almost astonishing fact that believers in Jesus Christ, such as the apostles, are living within Judaism and thus obedient to the laws of Judaism. Historically, kingdom believers still saw themselves as part of Judaism and not something else, let alone another re religion. Now, eventually, this would come to a head, and the, the Christians would come to be persecuted. And that's when they begin meeting you know, in houses and begin fleeing for their lives, and then Rome jumped on board, and you know, it got nasty. But initially, no. Um, and then notice in verse 23, and when they had appointed him a day, so obviously a few days had went by or something, and they said, we want you to come back and tell us about this sect, what you think about this, this sect. And uh, so they appointed a day, and there came many to him into his lodging. Remember, Paul had his own hired house 
to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. Now, again, there are people that disagree that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing. I believe they're the same thing. You know, nobody's convinced me otherwise of that yet. I've heard some, I, I know the kingdom of God is speaking of the universality of God. He's the king, he's sovereign, he's overall. And the kingdom of heaven is definitely speaking of the Jew and God's reign upon earth and the kingdom. Uh, but I just see the words as interchangeable, you know, and my greatest proof of that is in the Gospels. I think it's Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven, and I think it's Luke that uses kingdom of God. Exact same story, exact same narrative. I, I just think the words are interchangeable in the context that we're looking at here. Uh, now, if I'm going to specifically talk about the kingdom of God today, I I would probably say kingdom of heaven if I was talking about the millennial reign of Christ and the restoration of Israel. But to me, the words are interchangeable, and there are some that disagree with that, and that's fine. Um, as long as we don't start walking into heresy, we'll be okay. Persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses, out of the prophets, from morning till evening. So, so Paul was giving them an update about why he was there previously and that he was innocent. And now he's going to start zero in, zeroing in on this sect and who they were and what they believed. And we see here that Paul expounds and he persuades them. How? Out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. That's what he's using. Um, and, and again, I think this should make it pretty clear that he's not speaking of the grace gospel because... The grace gospel is not found in the law of Moses or in the prophets. So all of that was foretold in the Old Testament. The kingdom was foretold in the Old Testament, but the grace gospel, the, 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 the body of Christ, was not. It was a mystery that was hidden. That's why Paul said in Romans uh, 16, 25, the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. So Moses didn't know about it. The prophets didn't know about it. So if he's expounding and persuading them out of the law of Moses, he's obviously talking about the kingdom and the kingdom promises. And again, we have to stop looking at the book as the birth of the church and more about the diminishing of Israel. Acts is a transitional book. Uh, now, how long that transition took? You know, I was talking to a brother the other day. I mean, did did the transition go from 2 to 13? Did it go from 9 to 13? Did it go from... We know that in chapter 9, Stephen was stoned. Uh, we know that in 13, Paul already knew the grace gospel because that's the first time he laid it out. Did he start preaching that grace gospel immediately after that and never again preach that kingdom gospel? You know... Uh, at this point in my this pass through the book of Acts, I, I think that he continued to teach both. Um, but Acts needs to be viewed as a diminishing of Israel. Romans eleven twelve, Paul said, Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So again, you see that diminishing of them, them being the nation of Israel. So it's obvious to me that Paul's greatest desire still at this point was for the nation to repent and accept Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah, which was required for the kingdom to be given. So, no, I don't think he's talking uh, to these guys about 
the grace gospel. I don't think he mentioned it at this point. Uh, another point to be made here is that the grace gospel was the gospel of the uncircumcision. So he's speaking to the circumcision. So why would he be doing uh, the, the grace gospel to the, to the circumcised? Um, and then verse 24, and some believed the things that were spoken and some didn't. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> you know, Paul's only obligation was to be faithful in sharing it. Uh, I'm not responsible for how you respond to it. I'm only responsible to share it. And I think that's where our accountability, you know, Paul said, I'm not shunned to declare the entire gospel, the whole gospel, the whole, what was it say? The whole something of God uh, to the nation of Israel. In other words, my hands are clean. And then verse 25, and when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. No doubt, Paul's teaching on the sect, on these that followed this way, uh, there was some dissension. And after that, Paul had spoken one word. So you remember way back when uh, he was arrested by Lysias and he said, hey, let me speak to the Jews one more time. And they listened until he said the word Gentile. Well, they're going to listen to him now until he quotes Isaiah. And he quotes, this is a uh, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, when he said, Well, spake the Holy Ghost of Isaiah the prophet unto our father, saying, Unto this, go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So at that point, he lost them, um, because the verse is basically condemning the nation of Israel. Um, that's why many times when I pray, I say, Lord, um, um, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand. I don't know where I got that, but I, you know, it must have come from here, <laughs> because in Isaiah it says, have they closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. So, I think that's where I, I get that from. Um, so Paul quotes that, and he immediately loses them. Why did he lose them at that point? I think because they were strong uh, students of Hebrew scriptures. Uh, because the very next verse in that passage in Hebrews 6 is, Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses be without man, and the land be utterly desolate. They knew that he was pronouncing, or at least they thought he was pronouncing judgment on them. However, that didn't happen. Um, and this is where grace comes in that only Paul knew about. I mean, understand what woulda, coulda, shoulda happened didn't. Uh, the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah, and the next thing that should have happened should have been their judgment. But that judgment was postponed, uh, and grace was inserted, and that's why you and I today are here in this grace. Uh, they didn't know that. They didn't see that between Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 and Isaiah 6, 11 through 13. Um, and again, as we've already established, the Hebrew Scriptures did not know the mystery 
of the temporary postponement or the age of grace. I'm not even sure Paul at this point, I mean, I think Paul certainly knew the mystery, but I don't think he necessarily understood the temporary postponement uh, at this point in his ministry. I mean, there's nothing in the text that says he does. Uh, I think as he's in Rome for two years and he writes his prison epistles, um, I think at some point during there, maybe the Lord revealed this postponement uh, to the, to them, to, to him at least. Um, but, you know, they, they quit listening uh, and um, when he said that. And Paul said, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent to the, bam, the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Again, that's where he lost them last time when uh, they were... Uh, when they were, uh, uh, when he was in Jerusalem and he was initially arrested, and he asked Lysias if he could speak to them one more time, and as soon as he word, heard the, they heard the word Gentiles, um, he lost them. Uh, so be it known unto you, therefore unto you that salvation of God is now sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. There's no doubt in my mind that uh, Paul. Um, I, I just think, and you know, I'm, I'm speculation here on my part. I just think Paul, I don't think Paul saw the postponement at this point. I just think he saw the Great Commission. It needed to be fulfilled. The nation of Israel won't do it. God's called me to do it. You know, uh, and they will hear it. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's where Paul was at this point. Again, I'm... I, I can't be dogmatic on that, uh, but he was just saying, you know, God sent me to the Gentiles. Um, and then verse 29, and when they heard these words, the Jews departed in great reasoning among themselves. In other words, they walked away confused. Well, at least they were a little more open-minded than the previous Jews who away with them. This man's not worthy to live. At least they walked away. Uh, maybe it was because he was in Rome. And I'm sure just like, you know, any group of people in a big city, they're probably a little more open-minded because they had heard a lot of things. Um, And I think that could be said of of most, um, you know, uh, cities. Uh, The rural areas are much more conservative than the the city areas uh, because the city is just used to new ideas, uh, new points of view. And when you're isolated outside of that, you tend to be a little more closed. So I think these guys were a little more open, but they were confused. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him. So the time that Paul spent his own hired house would have been in the mid-60s. Remember the war of the Jews started in 68. The fall of Jerusalem was in 70. Um but notice here that he's in his own hired house. Uh, there's no nothing said about a soldier being assigned to him uh, that was mentioned up in Acts twenty eight sixteen. Um, so if he's under arrest, it's it's a pretty loose arrest um, because he apparently traveled. Uh, I think when we get over into the epistles, we're going to see that he he ventured away from time to time. Uh, when you get over into Timothy, I think you'll see that. But it's during this period that he wrote his prison epistles. Um, 
Ephesus, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, And what did he do during that two years? He preached the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence, no man forbidding him. I forgot you guys are still looking at that uh, screen. Apologize. Um, So so for two years, he's preaching this kingdom of God and those things that concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the way I see it, and I can only speak for myself, I believe this verse is saying that Paul preached both Gospels during these two years. Uh, In other words, I believe Paul um, believed that the kingdom offer was still on the table at this point. Um, Randy White again puts it this way, to deny that Paul was preaching the kingdom of God is to deny Scripture. To deny that the kingdom that he was preaching is the future physical fraternal kingdom of God is to venture into make-believe. Um, I mean, and again, that goes along with what I think. Paul didn't see the postponement. Paul still saw the future physical fraternal kingdom coming. Um, uh, and there are four reasons uh, that Randy lists that he would have taught the kingdom at this point. Uh, number one, he had no other message, which falls into the Acts 28 crowd, Bullinger especially, who says that Paul never preached the grace gospel in the book of Acts. Um, so he had no other message at this point. Uh, number two, he was simply giving information about the now withdrawn offer of the kingdom. He was just sharing with them, too bad, too sad, too late, you know, um, I struggle with both of those. I, I I don't see that. I think he did. I mean, he he verbalized the grace gospel in chapter number 13. Uh, I don't think it had been withdrawn by this point. Uh, it was definitely diminishing. Number three, he suggests that the kingdom is still offered and thus still needs to be proclaimed. While at the same time, the gospel, the dispensation of the grace of God is also being offered. This is the overlap position that I have taken in this study. Um, you know, I, I see this overlap, and some people see this overlap as smaller than I do, and some people see this overlap as extending all the way to the end of the book. Um, now, I know that some will disagree with that assessment, and I reserve, I reserve the right to disagree with it later myself. <laughs> but for now, that's the way I see it, you know, and that's the way I see it. Of course, all Scripture has to be compared with Scripture. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And as we study through the Pauline epistles, I may very well have to change my view on this, and I'm certainly willing to do so. Um, but I, I think there's an, a, a long overlap here. I think the offer's still on the table. Um, certainly, it's diminishing, no doubt. Um and by the time Paul starts writing his prison epistles, I think he realized that that day had passed. The other view is his definition of the kingdom was just spiritual. Uh, he was now not preaching a physical kingdom, but he was preaching a spiritual kingdom. Now, this is the standard evangelical answer today. That's why they'll say we are a kingdom people uh, that's why they say we're building in the kingdom, we're bringing in the kingdom. Um, it was a spiritual kingdom. It wasn't a physical kingdom. 
that Paul transitioned from preaching a physical kingdom to a spiritual kingdom. I reject that. Uh, I don't think the kingdom has anything to do with the Gentile. I don't think the kingdom has anything to do with the body of Christ. And I think to take that position is to assume the position of a soft replacement theology um, that somehow the church has become Israel. Um, and I reject that. Uh, maybe there's a mixture somewhere in there. I don't know, but I, I just I can't see it. So I'm not going to go down that road at this point until I see something otherwise. Whatever he was teaching, he did it with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Um, so Paul was running strong. He was still um, going with the Lord on what he knew. Uh, he was preaching. Uh, but I do know that by the end of Paul's ministry, um, all they which be in Asia be turned away from me. I know that Paul's going to be officially rejected. And I believe, and again, we can probably bear this out as we get into the Pauline epistles, that what Paul means by that is that the grace gospel, the mystery that was given to him, was accepted initially, but then it was rejected. And, and I believe when we get into Galatians, he's explaining how it was rejected. The way it was rejected is that it was mixed into the kingdom message. In other words, they took the kingdom message of works um, of the law and they blended it with Paul's message. So you ended up with this hodgepodge that Paul told the Galatians is no gospel at all. And, um, and I believe that's what Paul is saying there when he says, all they which were in Asia be turned away from me. And understand, that's primarily where Paul ministered. He spent most of his time in Ephesus, uh, which was Asia. Um, so the Pauline epistles will bear all that out, so... But anyway, that brings us to the conclusion of, of the book of Acts. Um, and I'm going to, uh, I've learned a lot through this. Uh, a lot of my previous assumptions have been questioned. Um, I'm not dogmatic on everything. Um, I'm open to learning and studying and um, learning more. Um and, uh, you know, as we get into, I, I think, I believe I'm going to go into the book of Galatians. Uh, once we get over there, we're going to see Paul talking about this mixture of the two Gospels. Um, again, why would there be a mixture of the two Gospels if there wasn't two Gospels? I mean, I, you know, I mean, all that stuff, we just got to work our way through. And, and uh, I think Galatians, the Pauline epistles will start revealing a little bit more of this to us. Um uh, so just hopefully Tuesday, next time we're together, maybe we can do an introduction of the, uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, but uh, other than that, man, it's been a fabulous journey. I really did not intend to go through the whole book, but I found myself, <clears throat> if you go back and look in some of my studies, you'll see that I was just going to 
talk about this transition and talk about it only, but it ended up being a verse-by-verse study through the book. So I've enjoyed it. It's been a great journey. And uh, remember, uh, all of my notes um, are on... uh, are on my my website. Um, Everything, all the written studies, when I finish with this one, I'll put session 40 up. uh, And then I'll I'll post the audio studies from SoundCloud over here for you guys to see. And then the video studies, uh, I'll post them over on YouTube uh, for you guys to see as well. So anyway, it's been an awesome journey. And my prayer... Uh, just like Isaiah 6 says, is that the Lord will continue to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand the, th- the things that God has for us. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great weekend. And Lord willing, I'll see you Tuesday.